I let me. I'd like to continue with this theme for a moment um, before I get into this. I have a brief message this morning, so give me just a little room to share this with you. I don't know how many of you run through your house shouting unto the Lord, but if you don't, you should try it. You do own that house, or if you're renting, you have paid the rent. It's yours. You can do whatever you want in it, and I know that you know that. So when you are in that house, do you ever cut loose and praise the Lord? Run around in your bathrobe, pretend it's, well, at any rate, just running around in your bathrobe before God, pretending it's your prophet's mantle, and praying in tongues and just blessing everything, putting oil on everything, praising God, worshiping the Lord, lifting up your voice. That's a good habit to get into. You need that freedom. You need to exercise that freedom. And when you get in your house, praise the Lord, man, don't worry about looking foolish. You already look foolish. It's too late to worry about looking foolish. You just need to be a fool for Christ. Just to be a fool for Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody's a fool for somebody, right? Yeah, I'd rather be a fool for Jesus. Glory to God. So I just encourage you to do that because if you get into the habit of doing that, you will become a big mouth fan of Jesus. And the world needs more big mouth fans. We got plenty of big mouth people that are <laughs> speaking everything else. We need some big mouths for Jesus. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. Praise All right. Um, this morning, I think it's uh, the third part in this message about God bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of sin, into the promised land. And he used two. Saviors both represented Jesus to do it. He used Moses to bring them out of Egypt and in the wilderness. He was their pastor for 40 years. But then when they crossed over out of the wilderness into the promised land, uh, their leadership changed. And the, the leader who was the image of God among them, which was Moses, changed to a different image, and that was Joshua. And Joshua was a different kind of leader. And so as they entered the promised land, they went from the Moses type of Jesus to the Joshua type of Jesus. So, so that's kind of a thought that we've been carrying uh, forward as we've been looking at Deuteronomy 6.23, which says, as Moses is recounting to the children of Israel, just, to, just as they're about to, Deuteronomy was written as Moses was, had kept a journal and he was updating it. And just after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they're about to enter the promised land. He gets them together and he reads from his journal, basically. And uh, he writes Deuteronomy as a recollection of God bringing them out of Egypt, their 40 years in the wilderness, rehearsing all that God had done before they go into the promised land so that they're focused, they know why they went through what they went through and what they're about to enter into. The, the entire book kind of hinges on this one verse in 623 where Moses says, and God brought us out from there so that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. So notice that there's this two-step progression when God is moving in our life to bring us out from sin and into fellowship with the Father. And the two steps are he brings us out of slavery in Egypt. And then there was this 
wilderness, this transition point. We've already covered the fact that it was supposed to be 40 days, a brief journey, and it ended up being 40 years, till they were ready to enter in. Because coming out is not the same as entering in. There are a lot of people that receive Jesus as Lord, but they never take the next step and really commit to follow Jesus. They don't lay hold of the purpose for which the Lord set them free. And I don't know if sometimes maybe it's not preached in the, in the churches that they've been to, they don't hear, they just simply hear, get saved, receive Jesus, and everything's cool from that point forward, and he blesses your life. But that is what the wilderness was like. They wandered around in the wilderness. They hadn't really entered into God's purpose. And the, they just, every time they had a problem, they just, oh, Jesus, please help. And through Moses, the Lord would help. But God, God's true purpose was to bring them in. So as you hear this message, you should be thinking, am I really entering in to what God has for my life? And not just thinking about what occupation or what ministry or what purpose, but am I really entering in in my relationship with the Lord so that I'm living my life with Him, for Him, for His glory? Um, and so you want to be thinking about that. So God intends the Exodus story to illustrate basically our transformation from, from uh, living in the world as slaves to sin, being translated into the kingdom of Christ and living as his ambassadors in the world. So we go as living as slaves to sin in the world to living as the ambassadors of Christ in the world. He brings us out so that he might bring us in. All right, so in the New Testament, God brings us out of spiritual bondage into spiritual life. Brings us out of spiritual death into spiritual life. In the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus, they come out of a physical condition of slavery and um, they enter into a physical land called the land of promise. The whole story is meant as an allegory to teach us about coming out of death and entering into life. So we want to think in the New Testament, the promised land for us is not a place, it's a person. The promised land is Jesus Christ. We are entering in to oneness with God through Jesus Christ. So the promised land for us is God bringing us out of alienation. And this is what I want to base my message on this morning. We were once alienated from God, though he loved us, we did not have any fellowship with God. Remember, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, yet everyone was living as an enemy of God in sin. Jesus dies, raised is from the dead, so that even though he loves us, we're separated from him, he can bring us into oneness with him. So God's not satisfied to just set us free from sin. He wants our communion. He wants our fellowship. Today... My beloved wife and I are celebrating our 45th anniversary. Amen. And you thought we were 45 years old. Um, it was an arranged marriage. And uh, we, we, we had that wedding. We were six years old. Um, it was interesting in our, in, during high school. At any rate... The idea is, if you have been in love and, and married, um, you understand that you can love somebody 
but you don't have them and they don't have you. A, a lot of people love other people at a distance. And God's purpose was not just to bring them out of slavery because he loved them, but he wanted to bring them into oneness with himself. He wanted contact with his people, and he wanted them to have full contact with him. When they came out of the, uh, Egypt and they came to Mount Sinai, God fully intended to let them see him and hear his voice. And he wanted Moses to bring them up on the mountain with them. They'd have, they'd have literally covered that mountain like ants because there were you know, a few million of them. And um, so he said, you bring them to the foot of the mountain. And he said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to talk with them. And they're going to see me and they're going to hear me. That would have been something. It never happened because they said, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. We like the fact that God loves us, but we don't want that kind of contact. It kind of freaks us out a little bit. So Moses, why don't you go up? And they, they invented the first church. We'll be the congregation, and, and, and you can be the prophet, or you can be the pastor. You go up, find out what he wants. And so Moses went up, and he was like, well, what happened? And God said, um, I said, all right, well, if they want rules and regulations, that's what they, rather than relationship, that's what they can have. And so Moses came back down with the law. In the New Testament, however, Jesus Christ came and he did for us what we couldn't do. He knew that it freaked us out to have direct contact with God. He understood that, that when, we're, when we've lived a life in sin, um, there is this natural fear about coming in contact with the Lord God. So he came to us as intimately and as personally as he possibly could. And he came by becoming one of us. And then he bore our sins, as you know, on Calvary's cross. And so, as we think about that story, um, I want you to think about this. That for the Hebrews, it was the promised land that God wanted to bring them into. For us, it's salvation and intimacy through Jesus. But both of these experiences, the physical promised land... And the New Testament promised land, which is oneness with Jesus, both of them exist because of love. Now, we know in the New Testament that it's all about love. The Bible's so clear, John 3.16, God so loved the world. But in the Old Testament, it's hard to see the message of love. But it is there in Deuteronomy. The very next chapter of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 7, God has Moses and he has the children of Israel and he's explaining to them, you're about to enter the promised land. And he lays out for them what he expects them to do and he tells them why they're coming into the promised land, what the promised land is all about. And listen to what he says. There's a little excerpt in a couple of these verses out of Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath, the covenant, that he swore to your fathers, Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 
So God says to them, I want you to understand that you are where you are today and you're about to enter into this special land, this land of intimacy where you and I are going to live together in harmony. You will be my nation and I will be your God. He said, I want you to understand that the reason it's happening is because I love you. That's why all this is happening. It's not because I hate the Canaanites. Or it's not because you are so wonderful and so special, you're better than everybody else. In fact, he said, you are the fewest. There's the, you are the least attractive. You are the slaves. But he said, the key, you're the offspring of Abraham with whom I have a covenant. Hallelujah. And so the Lord let them know that the purpose of the promised land is reunification with God. The wilderness was dating, but the promised land was marriage. I mentioned that I'm, I'm celebrating Kathy and I, our 45th anniversary today. We dated for a couple years before we married. And then after a couple of years of courtship and dating, we married. We made a decision that we would be together for the rest of our lives and that we would have an exclusive relationship. Any other girlfriends I had lined up in the wings, bye-bye. Same with her. And that from that moment forward, we exclusively committed ourselves to each other. We had calculated and we said, you know what? I think I could spend the rest of my life with this person and be happy. And um, prompted by love, we were willing to make that commitment. And we weren't sure what we would look like 45 years later. You know, if we'd get tired of looking at each other or if we would just irritate the daylights out of one another. There were all those risks involved, but love led us. But notice that because love was leading us, we entered into a covenant. We made a covenant and a compact. And the Bible says at that moment, we became one and had exclusive access to one another. And so God says, you're about to enter the promised land. You and I are going to go from dating to marrying. In the New Testament, we're referred to as the bride of Christ. I don't know how many of you know that. Did you know that you are, we're called the bride of Christ? The Lord uses that analogy very specifically because he wants you to know that um, God considers you as married to him and, and, and he as married to you. And he wants you to know that you have that husband-wife relationship with him. That's pretty powerful. You talk to your wife, talk to your husband in ways you don't talk to anybody else. You ask things of them that you don't ask. You don't feel the liberty to do the things. You expose yourselves to one another in a way that you don't expose yourself to other. But you're unguarded with each other. All of those things that <clears throat> define marriage are supposed to define the kind of relationship God wants you and I to feel comfortable with. And to, and to feel confident that we have that relationship. So the promised land, the purpose of it was marriage. Spirit was, was, a, was in their case a physical marriage. So they went from dating to marrying. The Lord just, the, Jesus don't want to date people forever. And some people in the process of getting saved, they never go from dating Jesus to accepting the fact he's called you into a wedded covenant relationship. So, like marriage, the promised land provided a context, if you will, for God to have the kind of relationship with his people that he wanted to have. And remember that everything that happened back then was so that he could illustrate for you and I this morning 
what kind of relationship he was preparing for us. All those physical things that in the Old Testament were God drawing a physical picture of the spiritual reality that would take place when Jesus came into the world. God was sending the promised land into the world. His name is Jesus. And now we are to enter into him. And he wants you to know what kind of an entering in and what it means. It means to you and I that we are one and inseparable. God don't believe in divorce. God doesn't believe in divorcing you. And he doesn't want you to divorce him. Now, does that mean divorce is possible? I'm not going to get into theological debate, but let me tell you my opinion from reading scriptures is it is possible. Moses, uh, uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees when they said, well, is it all right for us to divorce our wives? And Jesus said, well, that wasn't God's perfect will from the beginning. He said, let not man put asunder what, what God has joined together, but because of the hardness of your hearts. See, some people come to Jesus, but they keep that back door open. And in the process of time, their heart gets hard. And the hardness of heart makes their, turns a relationship of love into a relationship of bondage. They eventually hate being a Christian and can't stand having that, that it's too confining for them. And they jump ship and they, they seek a divorce, if you will. The idea here is that the Lord offers to us one kind of relationship is called marriage, it's called love, and he saves us because he loves us. So if that's appealing to you and I, I know it was appealing to me many years ago when I realized that the Lord was looking for, that he loved me like that, how could I resist a love that was so precious? Somebody say amen. amen. I see a lot of nodding, but somebody just say praise the Lord just to let me know that you're liking this. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Remember, from our text, the Lord said, just know that it is because the Lord loves you. So when the Hebrews entered the land, God made certain that they knew that they were there because he loved them. And let me just say this, because this leads into the, the rest of the message. He wanted them to not only know that they were in the promised land because the Lord loved him, loved them, but he wanted them to know that the promised land is where the Lord would love them. Now think about that for a moment. If I'd have married my sweet wife 45 years ago and we'd have provided a place for us to live, but then I didn't stay there. Any given night I could have been out somewhere else sleeping in somebody else's house she would feel like our marriage was what? <laughs> Barbara said, over. <laughs> yeah, there's an expectation. There's an expectation that comes because marriage takes dating and it puts it in a place. It's defined. It's got a context. And the expectation is we're living now in the same space. We are sharing the same space. That relationship is not one where we're just seeing each other. And they even refer to dating as, oh, I'm seeing somebody. Sometimes you're seeing them up close, and then sometimes it's like, I can't see you anymore. I've had all I can take. But once you're married, you're, you are more than seeing each other. You are there together on a daily basis. So the promised land was where 
they could expect to be with God. God didn't just want them to see him when they needed him, but he wanted them to understand that his love was a place for them to be together in that place. So let me say this to you this morning about God's love. God's love is unending. Some people say it's limitless. But let me say this also. God's love may be unending, but it has boundaries. It may be unending, but it does have boundaries because God brought them into the land to teach them how to live within the boundaries of God's love. When you read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord was very specific about when they enter the land, what he expected them to do. They were to drive out all of the idol-worshiping inhabitants of the land, to show no mercy whatsoever, but not a single one was allowed to be left alive in the land to drive them out. Now, that would be a process that would take many years. But God ordered, if you and I are going to live together in this relationship, um, we don't have an open marriage. Jesus doesn't tolerate an open marriage. And so he says, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not the adulterous type of God. And so I don't, I don't marry an adulterous type of people. We are going to be faithful to each other. And so he gave them specific instructions about how that land was to be set up and what they were supposed to do, the boundaries of God's love. In, in Ephesians, the New Testament version of that, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, we are not entering a physical land, we are entering fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes about our entering fellowship with Jesus, and he says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, so that because you have been rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all God's people what is the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, and thus to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That is a powerful statement because Paul is saying that when we enter relationship with Jesus Christ, we're entering God's love. And he says, if you know the love, you'll be filled with God. Know the love, be filled. To the extent that you don't know God's love, to that extent you're going to be empty as a Christian. The more you know God loves you, and the more you live in that love and know how that love works, and you respond to God in love, and you understand what the boundaries of God's love are, and you practice them in your life, the more full of the Holy Spirit you will be. I know that we think we can get <clears throat> someone who seems to be full of the Holy Ghost to lay hands on us, <clears throat> and uh, that's how we get filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, know the dimensions of God's love, and as you know the dimensions of God's love, you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Somebody who's walking close to the Lord can lay hands on you, and you can get a momentary thing, but it'll all leak out. Because if you don't know God's love and practice it to the extent that you know it, and it's a lifetime practice learning the love of God. God doesn't expect you to know his love and the dimensions of it overnight like that. 
It takes a lifetime to know about the love of God, just like it would take years for them to possess the promised land. God's patient. But to the extent that you embrace his love and understand it, to that extent, the Lord says, you and I will experience oneness. So if the church wants more power with God, get closer to the Lord in love. Learn about his love. Understand his love. The more you understand his love, the less you'll do the things that violate his love. You and I do things that violate the love of God all the time. We don't necessarily do them because we want to violate God's love, but nonetheless, they still do. Did you know that truth isn't changed by your ignorance? If, if something is wrong, just because you don't know it, it doesn't become right. And so if God says this is a violation of our love relationship, if you're ignorant of it, God may be gracious towards you in that he doesn't release punishment on you because what? He loves you. And he patience, he's patient and waiting for him, his opportunity to teach you so that you'll stop doing that thing. And so that you'll be open to him showing you a better way. So he's patient with you, but you're not going to move forward in that area until you do learn it. You're not going to reap the blessing of abundance and prosperity and peace and joy and, and the fruits of that closeness that the love brings until you start practicing it, walking in it. And if you don't practice it, walk in it, he's not hating you, he's not fighting against you, you're just not advancing any further. And so there's many people that have entered the promised land, but they haven't cleared out and taken possession of all the acreage that the Lord has given to them. Amen? Amen. So in the New Testament, we enter the promised land by entering the love of God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it says, God is love. And the one who abides in love, lives in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. Again, I remember the, some of the earlier years of Kathy and, and my marriage together. We went through rough spots like young people do sometimes. We didn't always abide in love. We had to learn how to love each other because we are two different individuals. We had two very different personalities. We had different interests. And, and in our case, our differences you know, were pretty distinct. Um, but we made a great balance when you brought us together. But that bringing together was, yeah, that that would take love. And so... You've got that covenant that says you're married, but that paper doesn't, doesn't end the arguments, does it? When you're arguing, you're struggling. You see, one wants to go one way, the other wants to go the other way, and they're both convinced their way is the right way. And then there's, there's always those situations where one just can outlast the other one. And so peace... Peace comes because one of them just says, I'm tired, I, I give in. And so they don't move forward in a straight line. They move way off because one of them's always having their way. Right. 
simply because they've got that, that incredible endure stubbornness. And so not all unity is hammered out in love. Some of it's hammered out just in absolute sheer brute force. So the Bible says, abide in love. He, God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Well, unlike Kathy and I, we are married to Jesus, and he is always right. That's a one thing we can, I can always, I always know the quickest way for me to move forward is go, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm wrong. Most powerful prayer I've ever prayed. I'm wrong. And the Lord is all, you know, because he's not a condemner. He's not in this relationship to have his way. He's in this relationship to lift me up to his way. Not just to force his way on me. God's not trying to force his way on you. He's wanting to inspire his way in you so that it becomes your way. Hallelujah. And you share it together. That's called love. And so the Lord's bringing us into a love relationship. Now, there are three things that God told the children of Israel when they were about to enter the promised land about his love. And I'm going to quickly just touch on them. And they are, number one, love's desired provision for you. Love has a desired provision for you. Um, when God brought the children of Israel into the promised land, there were wonderful things because he loved them that he wanted to do for them. And he told Moses to tell them what he wanted to do for them. So I want you to listen. This is love's desired provision for you. When you walk in love, you enter into the love of God, these are the things he wants to be able to do because he loves you. Deuteronomy 7, 13 through 15. And God will love you when you enter the land. God will love you. He will bless you. And he will multiply you. And he will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. Your grain and your wine and your oil. The increase of your herds. And the young of your flock. In other words, you put all that together and God wants to bless your business investments. He wants to bless your business investments. And he says, because he loves you, he wants to bless and multiply you in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all people. There shall not be a male or female barren among you, and not only you, but among your livestock also, your animals. So fruitlessness will disappear. If love has its 100% perfect will in our life, nothing we ever do will, will be fruitless. Everything will bear fruit. That is absolutely an amazing promise. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness. Now, how much is all? 70%? 60? 100%. Listen to love talk. Listen to what love says. Now, religion and theology may say something different, but listen to agape, the love of God. Because the Lord will love you and bless you and multiply you, if you hearken to his word and if you walk in love, the Bible says, this is Old Testament. God said, I will 
take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, you knew them, they, they happened to you, will he inflict on you, but he will lay them on those that hate you. So look at it. God is promising to multiply and bless your business investments. You know, you get a little money saved up and the plumbing pipe underneath the foundation breaks. And there goes $10,000. You know, you just, you, you, you get a little financial breakthrough and the roof needs replacing. God says, love's got something better than that. He will bless your animals. They will reproduce. He'll bless your business, bless your oil, bless your wine. Back then, that was their business. Those were their investments. They'd set up their wine vats and their oil vats. And, and those were their businesses. And they wouldn't rot. They wouldn't become ruined. God said, I will bless them because I love you. And I will increase you. I will increase your flocks, your herds. And then he says, none of you will be barren. Everything that proceeds from you will be prosperous. It sounds like a fantasy, but that's really what it was meant to be. The promised land was meant to be a place if the Israelites, if the Hebrews had actually taken hold and really walked in that covenant with God, what I'm trying to tell you is there's not much of a limit that love places on the blessings that he wants to give. When it's love moving from God towards you, there's very little that's limited. Sky's the limit. I mean, I can't think of much more than I will prosper everything you do. You will be fruitful in everything you do. You'll be happy in everything you do. And you'll never be sick. And in fact, if any enemies attack you, I'll put the sickness on them that I took off of you. And I mean, that is, a, that is quite a life. Quite a life. Now, let's fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus said, nothing shall be impossible to you if you believe. Believe what? Believe and walk in the love of God. Exercise His love. Walk in His love. Let God show you the boundaries of His love and live within those boundaries. The problem is we don't live within the boundaries of God's love. We're in it for a little while, then we're out. We go in and out. We find green pasture. We go in and out and find green pasture. But God says, I have a place of limitlessness for you. If you want to be filled with all the fullness of God, know the love. Ephesians 3. Know the dimensions of God's love so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's right there, the key. Bam! Opens the door. It's just absolutely awesome. So that's the first thing God wanted us to know about His love was that love's desired provision for you is just about infinite when love is ruling your life. Number two, if you think that love, this second one you really want to pay attention to, if you think that love is a feeling, and that essentially it's, it's how you feel towards God or how He feels towards you, you really want to listen to this one. God also made sure they understood that God's love, what we call agape, the love of God, is more like a marriage it's called a covenant. The love that God wants to bring you into is not the dating. It's the marrying. You know, when you date and after a while it's like, ah, 
this ain't happening anymore. I'm just like, you're free to go. And that's the wonderful thing about dating. And that's a pretty good reason why you probably should do less dating than you do. More praying and thinking, Lord, show me what you have for me, you know, and you get less wore down and, well, let me not go off, but you get the general idea. You get used up and spit out and, you know, half dozen relationships or so later. God's love is like a marriage. It's a covenant. So the fact that the promised land, as I said before, is a place of their relationship with God that says to us that our relationship with God is a place that you can be in it or you can be out of it. And don't tell me, well, I'm saved, so I'm always in it. Because you and I know better. Right. I may be saved and my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but the fact is that relationship of love is a place, just like the promised land was a place. And, and God wants you in it and pursuing it, praise the Lord. He wants you to learn about the boundaries of that place. And those boundaries are God's word. You know, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I keep my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, when we're talking about the fact that it's like a marriage, we have to look at, Back in the Old Testament, the fact that when they entered the land, what was the first thing they had to do? They had to dispossess. Everyone say dispossess. They had to dispossess that land of the people that were living there. The, the land was filled with some awful idol worshipers. And um, the Lord said, they're sitting on the land I gave to your forefather 400 years ago, Abraham. That's your land. And you're going to go in, and through you, I'm going to anoint you. You're going to drive them out. Now, it's interesting. When they came out of Egypt, God said, I'll take care of Pharaoh. You guys just walk through the Red Sea. It's all going to be good. And walk through the wilderness. all going to be good. Matter of fact, I'll keep your shoes from wearing out and your clothing. I'll take care of all that. But when you enter marriage, you're going to do the fighting. You're going to fight the fight. You're going to work the work. You must dispossess the land. You need to drive out because it takes an act of will on your part. When I entered into marriage to my wife, I didn't have the freedom to, uh, to pursue other girls like I... Not that there were ever any girls that were interested in me pursuing them, but we, we fantasized. The older we get, the better we were. So at any rate, point is... There is a dispossessing. When you enter into that marriage, you push certain things out of your life. They don't belong in there. And if they creep back in, it's called adultery. And God is not going to stay in a, quote, open relationship. Do we understand? God says there's certain things that are wreck a marriage, and I'm not going to tolerate it in my relationship with you. And we know exactly what they are. There are certain things that ruin a marriage, they ruin love. And God said, I won't tolerate it. It's a violation of love. And so you have to push it out. If you ever wonder in your walk with the Lord, why does it get tough sometimes and you have to wrestle with certain things in your life? It's because, and you feel like, I can't get the victory over this. And the Lord says, I know you can't, but I'm not going to deliver you from it without you 
putting your shoulder to the grindstone and you've got to do some pushing. You've got to use your will. I will anoint you. I'll help you, but you're going to have to make the decision. When you come out of the wilderness into the promised land, it's not God doing all the fighting for you and you're just sitting there and, and asking him to show you when it's all over with. In a marriage, you're hammering it out. You're working it out. And so... In the Old Testament, they had to drive the idolaters out of the land. In the New Testament, we enter into relationship with Jesus. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not fighting with other people. This isn't about other people. This is about your mind. The, the, the mind and the heart is the promised land of the New Testament. This is what God has brought you into. He's come in and he lives in your heart. And that's where he wants to commune with you in your heart. And in your mind. So what is it that he wants to push out of your mind that he doesn't want in there? Because it, it uh, restricts his access. Thoughts. It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down evil imaginations and every high thing that opposes the knowledge of God. The more you allow adulterous or idolatrous thoughts to have a place in your mind, the more they're going to fight effectively against the Holy Spirit and the Word of God being able to occupy your life. So, you may be running on 30 or 40 or maybe 70% of your potential in Christ. The percentage of that potential has to do with how effectively you have been faithful at driving out the thoughts that fight against the truth of God's Word. The Word of God needs to rule your mouth, rule your mind, rule your heart. And to that extent, you'll have love in your fellowship with the Lord. If you want to have a great love life with Jesus, stop bringing them, those other men around. Stop bringing those other women around. You know what I'm saying? And, and the third, that leads me to the third thing because we could get real legalistic at this point. And, uh, and I could get up here as a, as a preacher and start dictating to you what that means in your life. But let me show you that even back in the Old Testament, God was a God of great grace. It's not my job to get up here and to tell you what you can watch on TV or what you can't watch on TV, or to tell you where you can go or where you can't go. Some things are quite obvious, I hope. I'm speaking to people who I believe have a mind and an ability to think and to reason. Praise the Lord. I like God's given us the ability to reason. Let's be reasonable. But listen to what God said in the Old Testament with the idea. This brings us to the third point. And that is growing in love is a process. In the Old Testament, God had said about driving them out. He said, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them, no bargains. Show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then what happens? The promised land's no longer the promised land. Right, it's a, it's a, it's a whole democratic society thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, like we have in our country today, which is fine. It's a place of tolerance. We tolerate everything. God says, I'm not tolerant. I don't have to tolerate 
uh, lies. I don't have to tolerate false gods, and I'm not going to tolerate any of them. But that's because it's my love relationship, and that's why it's got a boundary around it. Everyone who wants to tolerate all that stuff can live outside. As for me and my house, Joshua said, we're going to serve the Lord. So the way Christians live in this world is like, we don't condemn anybody. We don't put anybody down. We're not criticizing others. We're not telling people what they should do or what they shouldn't do. As for me and my house, in my life, in my mind, in my heart, this is how I walk with God. And, and I don't intermarry. Don't let my children intermarry. And God said, for you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. So you can see the husband speaking to the wife saying, sorry, but you're not going to run around with your old girlfriends who are going out to the bar every night to pick up guys. You've picked up a guy. So, you know, either this is for real or it isn't for real. So it brings us to this third point, which is growing in love is a process. Like I said, we could be legalistic at this point and start lining out, putting some regulations out. This is what you, and that's what they did in the Old Testament. They had all these regulations, hundreds of them, and they tried to keep them. Could they do it? No, no they couldn't do it. So that Jesus died for our sins, and we're back to the place of being free to walk in love, and love will teach you. If you'll walk in love, honestly, before God, he will help you, he'll teach you, he'll inspire you, he'll convict you, he'll show you. So that it comes from your heart. When you make a decision to turn away from something or to start doing something in your life or to amend some things you're doing, it'll be because you and God have worked that out together. And you've seen in the Bible what the Word says and you've asked the Lord for his wisdom and you're walking with him. It's not that you've been challenged by what someone else is doing so that you feel I've got to, oh, you know, they've quit they're not going to movies anymore, so I'm, I guess I can't go to movies. You know, that's what I always worry about when people would jump up in church and say, bless God, I, I've been fasting. I fasted for three hours. And uh, the Lord has spoken to me, and he says, stay out of the devil's movie theaters. I don't want you going into those movies. And I'm not making fun of anybody who says the Lord said, stay out of the movie theaters. Don't get me wrong. But I always get nervous when people jump up in church and say stuff like that. Because it's, it almost draws a line and then says, now if you, however, are going to the movie this afternoon, you're going into the devil's theater. Because you just let somebody get up in church and say that's what it's all about. So we could get legalistic, and that's not where we're going with this. Listen to what the Lord said, and it is, this is grace, and it is powerful. Deuteronomy 7, verse 22. The Lord your God will drive those nations out ahead of you little by little. You will not clear them away all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals would multiply too quickly upon you. It would be years in the process of the 12 tribes of Israel going in and taking possession of the land. And, and God said, I'm going to work with you as you have the strength and the ability and the time to go battle against the uh, Canaanites to drive them out. Otherwise, they, we'll let them stay until you're ready to fight against them and drive them out. We let them stay. The, and God's not saying, I'm not going to have a relationship with you. I'm going to curse you because the Canaanites are in your land. God said, I'm going to work with you. And when you're ready to drive them out, I'll work with you. What is that? That's love. God's saying, let's walk in love together. And, I, you know, and, and so 
you know, I'm blessing you to this extent right now, but if you drive the rest of those Canaanites out of the last 30% of your property, things are going to get better. And so the Lord says, let love lead. Say it with me. Let love lead. Love, grace, is not permission to not change. It's the power to move forward. It's not the permission to stay the same. It's the power to improve. Grace or God's love is the inspiring power to increase and to do more. And so I pray God's love be stirred up and charged up in your heart because I know the more you say daily before the Lord, Lord, show me how to walk in love with you. He'll show you in your own life what that means. And what he says to Barbara may not be the same as what he says to me because that's Barbara's life. See, that's her place in God. And I've got my place in God. Kathy's got her place in God. Kathy's place and my place overlap quite a bit. But that's because we share a special covenant relationship. See, the Lord's trying to bring us together with him. And uh, so listen, that's kind of the basics of what I wanted to share with you this morning. That love may be limitless, but it's got boundaries. And if you'll follow love with Jesus and let him tell you, Lord, how do I love you? He'll tell you. He'll show you the word. You walk in the word. When you come to God and you lay something on the altar that's been going on in your life, say, you know what? This has been holding me back. Lord, show me how to deal with this. And um, he takes you, he shows you the word, and he deals with you. And you put that on the altar. That's you and Jesus working something out together in love. And the power of love will work. You can expect that blessing. I'll leave you with this last thought. It is simply a repeat of what I'd said earlier in the message. Just know that if the love of of God, the love of the Father is talking to you through Jesus Christ. He is talking abundance. He is talking no sickness. He's talking incredible fruitfulness. When love talks, there is no limit to the blessing. Now, we have a better covenant, and that was the Old Testament standard. We have a better covenant. So Christians, let me tell you today, Always shoot for that absolute best in God. That's where the Lord's trying to bring you. If you have a difficult time believing that God wants to bless you, ask Him to open your eyes of love and see the Father, how the Father loves you and that limitlessness that He wants to bless you with. Let's stand together.